Welcome into Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here, the co-host of Two for One Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. Going to preview today. We're going to review the 2020 and 2021 quarterback classes right off the rip. And Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, both turning in good performances in week four. And there are a ton of quarterbacks and potentially entering the 2021 class to talk about Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson of BYU, a lot of good names there. Then we're going to look at Mike Renner's top five rookies from week four. Then we're going to dive into our segments, our blackout segments, some bad performances from rookies and prospects, and also our raise a glass segment looking at top prospect performances from the week finish out with the fake id segment highlighting an underclassman and then after that checking in after close looking at some top second year performances from this week let's get it Mike Renner, we are back in studio. How does it feel, man? We're back from the weekend. It was kind of a rough weekend. I gotta, I gotta admit, I wish we did not drink as much as we did on Saturday. I was fine. I don't know about you. I, I kind of hated myself the next day. <laughs> I felt great, but it was weird that you called me off the top, Mike Renner, because uh, just my full name. I don't feel like you've ever said that. To I don't really ever say life. your full yeah. name. That's actually pretty fair there. But uh, we want to open this podcast really looking at the 2020 and the 2021 quarterback classes because. They're popping off right now. Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, uh, Zach Wilson of BYU. I mean, Jarrett Dagey, if we want to get interesting. Nope. We don't <laughs> but then to. even in 2020, Joe Burrow continues to look better every yeah. single week. I had the uh, sports editor at the Cincinnati Enquirer text me. He said, Joe Burrow season. This guy is stoked on it. The city of Cincinnati is stoked on Joe Burrow. Let's start there. What have you seen from Joe Burrow through week four? How much has he progressed? And where is he excelling? And where does he still need to improve? Uh... I, th I think his deep ball is still erratic. Like he still had some misses down the football field that were uncharacteristic. If you saw him play last year at LSU, like he didn't miss a lot of deep balls. His accuracy was absurd. So I think that's the biggest thing. But the rest of his accuracy, I, I think we had that stat or whatever the grade last week saying he was one of the three highest graded quarterbacks in the NFL on throws under 20 yards. He has very been very just accurate and making good decisions with the football and this was finally the first time where you saw the situation be good like mm -hmm. the first time where it wasn't just hey joe you don't have a running game you don't have any pass protection win it every single play with your arm this is the first time where it's like oh joe mixon goes for over 100 yards oh he's not under pressure every single time he has to drop back uh and hold the ball for more than two and a half seconds he was only under pressure i think 13 dropbacks in this game so i think it was the first time where you saw what he could do when things were good around him and Oh, by the way, he goes, you know, for over 300 yards, touchdown, the pick, not his fault whatsoever. Drew that Sample was an insane pick. How Miles did Drew Garrett Sample just, get robbed just gave it by away. Miles Jack? Yeah. I mean, he had two touchdown passes in, what, the first half that one gets called back for a holding. One gets, you know, turns into an interception because Drew Sample can't hold on to the ball. Those were pretty rough. I mean, if he, the stats probably don't match as well as he played because of that. I mean, you look at so far through this year, he's only completed one pass of his 23 attempts targeting 20-plus yards downfield. Inaccurate, like you said, uncharacteristic of his game. But he still ranks inside the top three in PFF grade, throwing 19 or fewer yards downfield. And you see that at the intermediate level. I put in my notes here a surgeon at the intermediate level, throwing over linebackers, finding in between that hole between safeties and linebackers. I think he's throwing people open in that area of the field, handling zone, handling man coverage really well as well. 
What is your opinion of his play under pressure? Because I feel like it has been a bit of a roller coaster at times. The pitches earlier in the season that were kind of rough. Um, but also, like, I think there's times where he thinks he can bail out of certain pressures but still getting sacked by better athletes. However, there's also those plays like you saw against Philadelphia that I think got, end up getting called back where he's making some spectacular play out of structure and pushing the ball downfield. I'd say it's been up and down, but maybe more positives than negatives. Yeah, I think he's learning quickly that he's not going to out athlete like NFL guys most of the time. Yeah. Like he's going to have to protect himself. And, and he still even had a play outside the pocket where he got, he took a shot unnecessarily, you know, throwing the ball away because he held onto it just a tick too long. He's going to have to realize that, you know, his O line's not going to protect him. He's got to protect himself at some point. So uh, that obviously still remains to be seen. I don't think he's been by any means though. Like what you don't want to see a guy under pressure is, like being erratic with the football, making bad decisions mm -hmm. with the football in terms of just throwing ball up for grabs, have not seen that with him. And I, and I just want to highlight before the season, I said top ten graded quarterback right now, Jackson at number nine. Oh, buddy, at number nine. He could be there. Three, I, I mean, I, I don't think that's that's I mean, crazy. He, he is there. Four weeks, he is there. <laughs> he could finish there. Uh, Justin Herbert. Uh, let's talk to him as well. I think he kind of opposite to Joe Burrow has been kind of spectacular throwing the deep ball. Yeah. He's had a lot of really nice big-time throws down the football field, two of which coming in this game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They were leading this game 21-3, to I think, early in the contest. They obviously end up losing, but through two weeks now, he has a 69.0 PFF passing grade I put in this game. He had that missed screen that looked insane. Like He just sailed he, it way over his head or something. I think he intentionally saw like JPP in gotcha. that throwing. I, I wasn't sure what happened. Away, yeah. Um, and then the pick at the end was kind of all good. That was but, bad. And then yeah. some, I put in here some other missed throws at the intermediate level, some just kind of accuracy stuff. But I'd say the two best throws of the game were the two deep throws. And then he also had a really nice comeback to Keenan Allen as well that I thought was nice. Um, and there was another pass I highlighted. Play action under pressure is able to get enough arm torque on there and put it in. So I think Justin Herbert has, I think, exceeded expectations uh, through two two starts now or two games. Yes, this one was easily his most impressive performance, in my opinion. Uh what I've been probably two things I've been really impressed with with Herbert right off the rip here that I didn't foresee coming. One was his willingness to take shots down the football. Yes, field. that's the one thing we said at Oregon where, yes, it was like a horizontal passing offense. Yes, it didn't run a lot of vertical concepts, but when they did, he was still like hesitant to push the ball down the field. I think you've seen, especially this past week against the Tampa Bay Bucks willingness to give his guys opportunities to make plays the one touchdown was not necessarily open along the sideline just to go ball gave him you know put it on his guy let him uh make it make a make a play and it's ended up in a touchdown that, that's something you just have to do at the nfl level because not, not every time it's not gonna be like you know back at alabama or you know back in college where guys just running wild open down the football field you're gonna have to hit guys who are not necessarily open and give them chances. So seeing him do that in this offense, huge for a rookie. Not a lot of rookies are willing to do that. And the second thing is he's protecting himself really well in terms of that's not a good offensive line. He's mm -hmm. behind. They didn't, they didn't have Brian Belaga this past week. They were getting dominated up front, but he would still get to his check down quickly. If he saw pressure, he was still getting the ball out of his hands. I think sacked only twice in that game uh, and not, not really throwing it up for grabs. He had a couple up for grab throws under pressure that weren't great, but I think on the whole, making good decisions when he knew that nothing was going to be there down the field or he wasn't going to have the time to get there down the football field. So really impressed with those things. And and the one throw that I really loved was the play action. It was like a free rusher, sidesteps him once and then just lets it rip right off uh, on like a crossing route mm -hmm. it was late in the second quarter. So I, I do think Herbert exceeded expectations a bunch. We'll see you know how he develops over the course of the season. But I think right now uh, you got to be happy if you're a Chargers fan. 100%. All right, let's jump to the potential 2021 
NFL uh, quarterback class. Right now, the four highest-graded quarterbacks in college football are Trevor Lawrence at number one, Zach Wilson of BYU, babyface Zach Wilson. That guy has the most babyface I've ever yeah. seen from a BYU quarterback. Expect well, because be he's like, the first one. Yeah, you expect him to be like 30, old. but he's actually a very young kid. I think graduated high school, what, 2017? 2018, so he's a true junior. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, then you have Mac Jones uh, there at number three, and then Spetson Rattler of Oklahoma there at four. What has been your opinion? Who's been the most impressive of the 20, you know, potential 2021 quarterbacks and who maybe has fallen under expectations? Yeah, I think there's kind of obviously Trevor Lawrence is the most impressive. Yeah, that one's like a given, but kind of just put him aside because mm-hmm. he's in his own tier now. Let's put him aside. How I Let's tier the quarterbacks now is kind of you have Trevor Lawrence just on his own, where you're just like you get Trevor Lawrence, you're you're, you're fine, you're good, you're like that's who you want. Then you kind of got Justin Fields and Trey Lance in this, all the tools. Uh, maybe they're not necessarily doing the exact same things you would do in the NFL or going to do in the NFL. There's some things that remain to be seen about how they'll translate, but I think you're still going to take that chance on them in at the top of the draft because of how talented they are mm-hmm. and because of you know how how makes how much that makes your life easier at the NFL level when you can do all the things that they can do. And Trey Lance, not a great game by any means in this showcase. He no. was not accurate with the football. I don't know why he played in that passer. Game. Yeah, it was silly, but I mean the rushing ability, the arm strength, it's all still there. Like he was breaking tackles left and right. So I, I do think that. It didn't help him by any means, but I don't think that's pushing him out of the top five, top ten. I think he's pretty much locked in there. Uh, the, so I think that's like the two tiers now. And then after that, there's this tier of – there's two different tiers. One's this tier of guys who play really good football but don't have great tools. And I think that would be the Mac Jones, Sam Ellinger, uh, Brock Purdy sort of tier. Those guys who they've you know played excellent quarterbacking at the college level. They don't have great arms. They're not particularly athletic. Maybe Ellinger and Purdy are a little mobile, but not you know runner rushing offense through you type of mobile. So those guys are in that tier where they have to be pretty much like Joe Burrow, lights out to get any sort of top com, top, top uh, you know billing. I haven't seen like Mac Jones is great out well. I haven't seen him be anywhere close to what like Joe Burrow was from an actually perspective. And his arm strength is really really borderline. Like you saw him throw a forty five yarder mm-hmm. post and it. It took a while to get there and was stopping. He also, Waddle had to so, slow up for another one on that one, yeah, too. Yeah, like he's slowed up his receivers a good deal so far already this season. So that's that tier. And then I think there's this tier of guys in Zach Wilson, the BYU QB, Kyle Trask, Florida quarterback, and I'd even maybe throw Kenny Pickett in there, the Pittsburgh QB, to where they have the arm strength. They have the tools. It's just we really haven't seen enough of you know high-level play from any of those guys to really feel comfortable, I'd say, or in my opinion, feel comfortable taking them highly. But that's why they played this season. And I think mm-hmm. throughout this season, for what I saw from Zach Wilson this past week was absurd against LA Tech. Just not missing any throws. Arm strength, on the move, electric. Uh, that was some of the best quarterbacking I've seen uh, all season. So those guys, I think, are all can play their way up draft boards with more of the same of what we've seen early on. I want to throw three more names at you. Sam so- Ellinger. If one of them's Jared Daggy, we're going to play it. Shane Buchel. <laughs> and uh, it was going to be Jared Daggy, but maybe I'll pivot. But no, uh, what, what's your opinion of the, the two Texas quarterbacks, uh, uh, Ellinger and um, Buchel? Man, Ellinger is just, it just has, doesn't have great arm. And he has kind of a long release, and he doesn't have great pocket presence. And that's just like not a good combination, even though he's. <laughs> that sounds pretty awful. It's kind of just like a, yeah, he just seems limited. Um, Unlimited? And when you get when you get limited at the NFL already, when you 
when you've already kind of your ceiling is already lower, you're just not going to teams aren't going to want their teams aren't going to dra- draft that highly. Mm-hmm. Like I said, like the Joe Burrow thing, it took everyone a while to get on board because you had to prove that you were so much more accurate than everyone else and so much more uh, you know, better at the small things about the quarterback position. And I don't necessarily see that from Ellinger, even though he is playing some pretty good football right now and grading out really well. I still just think that the tools are not just not near what the top guys in this class bring to the table. All right, let's turn our attention back to the NFL, look at the top five rookies mm-hmm. in week four. But before we do that, let's take a quick break. PFF's 2 for Drafts podcast is brought to you by pristineauction.com. Check out their daily auctions with $1 starting bids on over 8,000 football items for auction. Pristine Auction guarantees authenticity on every product. Use code PFF for $10 off your first invoice. And we are currently giving away a signed Saquon Barkley jersey. Rate and review the podcast, and we will be choosing the winner next week. All first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 into their account while using promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge Annual subscription. That's $40 value for just $20, and you'll get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the USA in Monkey Knife Fight. Go to Monkey Knife Fight and deposit your $20 with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge Annual subscription. MooseFit is a premium online workout program and remote coaching service that provides you with daily workouts based on your goals, the time you have available, and the equipment you have at your disposal. Purchase your MooseFit membership and a MooseFit coach will reach out to you with a questionnaire. Based on the information provided in the questionnaire, your MooseFit coach will either assign you a pre-made program to you or will create your custom program for you. No two programs are the same. For PFF listeners, use the code PFF50 and receive 50% off your first month. For more information, check them out on Instagram at, at MooseFit or on their website, www.moosefit.co, not com.co. If you are listening to the 2-4 Drafts podcast, you also need to listen to PFF's new daily betting podcast. It features George Tahuri, Eric Eager, Ben Brown, Kevin Cole, Lee Sharp, and myself on select few episodes there. They're 15-minute episodes daily discussing fantasy, DFS, props, and betting for the NFL and NCAA. All powered by PFF Greenline, a betting dashboard for every NFL and NCAA game that offers predictions on the spread, money line, and total. All made available to elite subscribers. Win your fantasy football leagues with PFF's Edge subscription, which includes fantasy football rankings, projections, advanced stats, exclusive content, and more. Bet to win with PFF's Elite subscription, which includes betting dashboards for every NFL and NCAA game, along with a new player props tool. And all diehard college football fans can subscribe to new PFF's new college football subscription options to access player grades and advanced stats for the entire FBS. Washington football team running back, Antonio Gibson, tops this list, Mike. Yes. Antonio Gibson looked awesome against the Baltimore Ravens. And you know who else did? I don't want to pivot the conversation too much, but Dwayne Haskins actually didn't look as bad as expected going against the Baltimore Ravens. Threw for 300 yards in this game. I think he earned a 70.0 plus PFF passing grade. Wasn't as abysmal as maybe the minus 13, minus 14 betters for the Baltimore Ravens thought he would. I thought both Gibson and Haskins looked good, but Gibson topping your list for the top five rookies in week four. Yeah, I... They split him out wide a bunch yes. in this game. Threw to him four catches, 82 yards, broke two tackles. And then, like, he just shrugs off guys. He's so big. And I think that was the underrated part of his game uh, when translating to the NFL was that, yes, he is this freak athlete, but he's also, you know, he's bigger than Jonathan Taylor coming mm-hmm. out. Like, he's 227 pounds. The guy, you know, if you're a safety coming up who's 200 pounds, you're not going to go high at him. You got to go low. 
uh, and try to chop him down. And that's kind of his bread and butter is just shredding uh, arm tackle. So, yeah, Antonio Gibson looks like, I mean, I, I said it before, like he could have been the best running back in this draft, but we only saw him for touch the ball 70 whatever times all mm-hmm. college. Like that's how good he was on those snaps. And he looks the part right now. And he didn't really get a ton of opportunities at the Senior Bowl either. Like, he didn't get yeah. a chance. And Senior Bowl is not a good opportunity to Senior Bowl is running shit back for running talent. Backs. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, you, you'd have, it sucks that you weren't able to see it. And yeah. at the combine, he runs with the wide receivers and it kind of gets overlooked while the other running backs go. Um, but, and it's just sad that he's on Washington because they have awful offensive line. Like, it's not going to be a, a great situation yeah. for him to produce. But I do think that. Like, if he is in a good situation, it's going to look very, very good at some point in his career, whenever that may be, hopefully soon. When he puts his foot in the ground, too, and squares up to the line of scrimmage, like you said, those guys coming downhill just aren't they're, – they're bouncing off of him. He's shed, shedding tackles very easily. Number two on this list, you have Justin Jefferson, who, again, put up numbers in this offense. Dude, back-to-back 100-yard games. I still am like, how is he not starting early in the year? I, I don't – feasibly know what it could be. He's night and day better than Ola B.C. Johnson. Like, Ola B.C. Johnson was no vertical threat whatsoever. Jefferson Speed is playing in that offense is what is what they, like, missed with Stefan Diggs those first few weeks was just yeah. the explosive aspect that he brought to the table. Jefferson has that in terms of his downfield route-running ability. You see it. Uh, and then, again, four catches for 103 yards. Again, the big plays. The ball skills keep showing up, and too. Yeah, like, in, in contested catch situations, this guy looks incredible. And then he's running a ton of a ton of routes versus off coverage, but mm-hmm. using very create you know very creative route runner to create separation on those deep crossers and stuff. Like, he has, I think, the most or tied for the most receptions of 15-plus air yards so far this year. And I, 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 he hasn't created a ton of separation in one-on-one concepts. He hasn't seen a lot of one-on-one coverages. But even in those one-on-one situations, he's coming down with the ball more often than not with that with that yeah. contested catchability. We highlighted it a ton in the pre-draft process. His ball skills are up there with the best in the class. You combine that with scheming him free releases and having him run crossers deep down the field, you're going to get a very productive receiver. And you've seen that with uh, Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings targeting him a ton over the past two weeks. Um, another receiver that's getting... I think more and more play as the Jacksonville Jaguars move forward. It's LaVisca Chenault Jr. They're getting, they're scheming him targets, trying to get him the ball in space, trying to run him on shallow crossers and stuff like that. And I think you're seeing it with his force mistack ability and what he can do when he turns up field. He's so perfect for Minshew too, because Minshew, he can put it on you underneath, give mm-hmm. you, yeah, give you room to run. And that's LaVisca. If he just gets the ball at the head of steam on a crosser, on anything, he's dragging you. Like he had, it seemed like every single time, first guy was. If he was going to bring you down, if he was bringing down LaVisca, the first guy, he was going to drag you for five or six yards yeah. in this game against the Bengals. Two broken tackles, five catches, 86 yards, and broke one more on a carry for five yards. He just, as advertised in terms of his after-the-catch ability. Now, is he a complete receiver? Still, not even close. Like He was had some routes down the field that he ran. I think he drew like a PI uh, that was and it's still not ideal. He's still a little stiff in his routes. But hopefully that'll come in time. But even if it doesn't, I still think you have a legitimate offensive weapon that's complementary to sort of what they have there in DJ Chark already. Number four on this list, Itor Grossmatos, the former Penn State edge defender, now playing for the Carolina Panthers. Beat up DJ Humphreys a couple times. One with a really nice outside move for the strip sack, and then another time beat him up. Um, beat him up a second time for another pressure. In this game, 
easily his best game of his career. One of the best games we've seen from a Carolina Panthers player in a while. Brian Burns has been like their best defensive player uh, through the first four weeks, but Yuturkos Matos showed up here. And I'd also say he's not number five on your top five rookies list, but I wanted to mention him as an honorable mention in this game. Derek Brown. Derek Brown has graded well over the past two weeks. And in this game, if you're going to grade well as an interior defensive lineman, you're going to do it against the Arizona Cardinals interior offense blind because they are abysmal. Mason Cole and company are really struggling there, and he owned them. Every step of the way. Still not a force as a pass rusher. You don't see like wins at the line of scrimmage from Derek Brown, mm-hmm. but he dominates the line of scrimmage, controls the man in front of him. But uh, Gross Matos makes four. Derek Brown, just an honorable mention. What did you see from Gross Matos? Yeah, and the interesting thing was so he was winning off the edge, and then he also had a few nice reps against guards that kicked him inside. And this edge class has kind of been as advertised in terms of there's only two guys with pass rushing grades on the season over 65 on the edge. And one's Chase Young, the other one now is Etor Gross Matos. And he's been only kind of a part-time player only 35 pass rushing snaps on the season but to flash something is early on your career on the edge for a guy who was billed as a project that's why he falls to the second round uh it's nice to see because they have a lot of youth now on that panthers defense and to see gross matos and Derek brown start to come along mm-hmm. is that's big because the guys in the secondary aren't as much yeah. uh for the panthers but they're going to need this rookie class that they just invested so much in on that side of the ball to sort of carry them back to playoff contention. I still have no idea why the Carolina Panthers did what they did with Teddy Bridgewater, Robbie Anderson, and company because Teddy Bridgewater is not going to give you the number one overall pick. Like this, yeah. they're not going to be in contention for a quarter. Like you know, Trevor Lawrence may may not even be able to land uh, Justin Fields or Trey Lance, and for that reason. You're building up this young defense. You're kind of in a semi-rebuild, but you're doing it with Teddy Bridgewater as your starting quarterback for at least, what, the next one or two seasons. Do you think they can be, if the defense develops, they get better defensively, add some more pieces on offense, they can be a contender with Teddy B, Teddy Two Gloves? I just don't think he's that. Yeah. He's that level So why'd they do that, it then? That's what I, I'm Oh, I know. Confused. Like, yeah. And the whole Cam Newton situation also was weird to me and yes, whatever that was also that. very weird that they you know, ran him out of town when it seemed like it was just injuries. Like mm-hmm. there wasn't uh, anything else in terms of maybe there was behind the scenes that we didn't hear about, but it seemed like injuries were the reason for his decline play over the past two years and not necessarily anything else. So I, I don't know about that, but again, Teddy is that tier of quarterback where you don't want to be yeah. in the NFL. The Andy <laughs> exactly. Dalton, the Ryan Tannehill. I mean, fun to watch. Where, I mean, he's been great for them, but he's not going to win a Super Bowl. Like, And, and for that reason, you're going to be picking yeah. in that – 10 to 18 range for the next two years that you're starting. At. And it's like, and if you have a quarterback on in that tier, it better be on the rookie contract. Yes. You don't want to be paying them $20 million a year to be in that tier. It's a very interesting step so, in roster development. So Though I will I say Robbie Anderson. And, and, I, and I said this before the season, the Panthers aren't going to be as bad as everyone kept saying. Like, they're probably going to be 7 to 9, 8 and 8. Yes. That's also not where you want to be in the NFL again. <laughs> no, you don't want to be there. I have to say this though, Robbie Anderson, I'm a big fan of Robbie Anderson. Everyone at PFF knows that. He yeah. has been awesome. He is playing that Justin Jefferson role in Joe Brady's offense while they're scheming scheming him open. He's running way more in the slot than he ever has. He was almost exclusively an outside receiver with the Jets. Mm-hmm. Now they're moving him all around the line of scrimmage and finding him open way more often than not. He's ranked fourth in yards per out run right now. And honestly, I don't know if you have seen the video of him standing in the locker room while the entire team is singing Sweet Caroline. It is honestly the funniest thing in the world. (laughs) He has no idea of that song. And it's just like so pure in the moment that he's like, everyone's happy. I don't know what's going on. Oh man, it's pretty good. All right, number five on the the top five rookies here is Tristan Wirfs, who held Joey Bosa to his lowest single game pass rushing grade since what, 2018 is what it was? 
I don't know the it number was like on early, that. It's, it's either late 2018 or early 2019. And I thought in this game, you turn on the tape good. and you see a couple times Joey Bosa getting into him. However, when you think about, like, through, if you look at the whole building of work here, like Tristan Wirfs holds his own. And going against arguably one of the best, if not the best, edge defender in the NFL right now in yeah. Joey Bosa. I, I, I was really impressed with how he didn't just get absolutely manhandled by Joey Bosa. Only allowed three pressures in this one, a 77.6 pass blocking grade against Bosa. Yeah, they're really making it tough. Wirfs. Obviously, Beckton had the shoulder injury, and they're boning him there in New York, whatever. Uh, and Wills played very well this past week as well. It's tough to decide which one's been the best. Like these yeah. guys, have been Andrew Thomas is all not. very, very good. Yeah, that one's easy to decide. Andrew He's Thomas not been the right best. now ranks last in pressure percentage allowed among all tackles, and he yeah, looks again lungy. So past inconsistent. Week. It's just like his timing is just all off. His feet don't even look anywhere near the same as that they did at Georgia. I feel like he's out of sync. Yeah, it does seem like he's. Definitely trying to like change his pass sets. Yeah, I, I uh, feel that. To, yeah, and it's not, it has not gone well. I can't wait to get to our so. blackout segment, by the way, because the guy on that one has had a tough go for the NFL season. He has had such a tough go. All right, that's it for the top five rolling rooks here. Let's get to after close. That's where we look at some of these second year prospects, or not second year prospects, second year mm -hmm. NFL players that are performing well of late. This past week, I have Garrett Bradbury, number one to talk about here. He looks good. Looked very good against Houston Texans. He's like walling off guys on outside zone. And when he does get to the second level, had a handful of chop blocks on Zach Cunningham, getting in front of people. He's not a people mover. He never will be. But he gets in front of people, uses his feet well. And I thought this was honestly the best game of his career, specifically as a run blocker. He also didn't get brutalized as a pa uh, in pass protection either. Texans may be the worst defensive tackles in the NFL. Fair, also. fair. And Ross Black, I can't even see the field. It's a scary thing for them is that he barely. But their linebackers the are good. Linebackers and he was getting up there on linebackers and making plays. That's well, that's his game. His space mm -hmm. is that he's like he is very athletic and like his what it's not his game is working a three hundred thirty five pound nose tackle one on one. Yeah, it's just not been his game over the course of his career. And that's that's when I worry about him in matchups like that. This was one I would hope that he would have won. So. Good to see him win it. Number two, I have Terry McLaurin, who continues to smash. I you mean, love it, some Terry McLaurin. I, who doesn't love Terry McLaurin? You he had that, nice, that nice route on the outside diving catch. That was probably the best play of the night of the day. He also had a really other another really nice route that he ended up catching. Uh, I think he just faked the outside, and came back in. I, I think that I think the Baltimore Ravens really struggled to find an answer for him because they were trying to feed him the ball consistently. And unlike last year. Terry McLaurin did not have a lot of yards after catch last year. It was not production that he had. Mm -hmm. But now this year, they're scheming him targets way closer to the line of scrimmage, letting him use that speed with the ball in his hands, mm -hmm. and it's working. Quick yeah. slants, uh, routes behind the line of scrimmage. I, I think Terry McLaurin is looking very good in year two, continues to show that he's one of the better receivers in that class last year. Yeah, he already broke more tackles this year than he did all his rookie And that season. comes from opportunity, man. Like It comes yeah, from where you're being the ball. by the line of scrimmage. Yeah, like... Catching the ball, like kind of what I said with LaVisca Chanel, it's like with space to work mm -hmm. and not, you know, if you're catching a go ball, you're not going to break a tackle usually. <laughs> you know, if you're yeah. catching a jump ball, it's just not going to be, it's not an opportunity. So, yeah, I mean, he's just was woefully underdrafted. Like they're just, and was in a difficult situation to show how talented he was also. You know, yeah. that, that's how we talk about role mattering at wide receiver. He was in a role that was just, he was not going to put up numbers. And the funny thing is, like, he – like, Dwayne Haskins and his inability to, like, target McLaurin hurt McLaurin's draft stock. Like, McLaurin should be pissed at Haskins. Yeah. He's really do dogging him. Oh, <laughs> and, man. like, still dogging him sometimes now with some of the overthrows. Next on this list, Jamel Dean earned the, the highest uh, single – 
game grade of his uh, of his second season in the NFL, 75.5 grade against the Chargers. Two defensive stops, only allowed one reception for three yards in this game. I love, and we've said this a thousand times, I love what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did to invest sure, in that yeah. secondary, to continue to throw pieces and give them give them go or mm-hmm. give them you know snaps is awesome. And now you know he's playing. He's a starter for this team at outside cornerback, and he's proven to be one of the better young corners in the NFL. A guy that was what built like a linebacker coming out of Auburn, but with legitimate <laughs> speed, six foot one, two hundred six. I think he's in a really good position to be a good starter in the NFL. Yeah, and another guy that I think we can just say with fairly with a good amount of certainty, he was woefully undrafted, just what did not recognize the talent that was actually there. And another guy, because of a lot of, one, the fact that he did look like a linebacker, I think he did cut a lot of weight going from Auburn to the NFL or even just to the combine because he looked like he was about 220 pounds there playing at Auburn and just sitting up at the line of scrimmage and press coverage playing. Uh, like we've said, some college coverages will not translate to the NFL. You're playing techniques that you cannot play at the NFL level because of, one, the athletes you're facing, and two, the lack of legal contact penalties. And that was Dean. He was doing that at mm-hmm. Auburn. And so that's why the NFL didn't recognize that he's probably one of the best cornerbacks in that class, falls away the third round, and doesn't have the pass breakups this year, but he's not losing either. He's only, only allowed 95 yards all season long through four games. 132 coverage snaps if you're under one yard per coverage snap allowed you're doing pretty damn well in the nfl nowadays i looked at this stat recently three of the four worst cornerbacks in the nfl guys that have allowed the most yards through week four are rookies rookies jeff gladney noah monogany and trevon diggs are all up there man they've given up a ton of yards man Noah, it, it's been so tough noah monogany has also made a t- handful of boneheaded plays all right i'm gonna finish this after close segment mike they're just throwing them to the wolves they are they, they absolutely go are man up dk and Tyler Lockett again this week. It's like, Jesus. Um, finishing this segment with the three highest-graded offensive players in their second years in the NFL and three highest-graded defense players. Terry McLaurin at one, David Edwards, guard for Los Angeles Rams, number two among second-year players on offense, and Kyler Murray there at number three. Defensively, Jeffrey Simmons has had a really good start to the season, obviously on a bye this past week, and I think he might have COVID. However, mm-hmm. Dexter Lawrence there at number two, Jesus. he's put on some really good tape. And then number three – How do you Bra- – wait. Can we go back? How do you think he might have COVID? Did he test positive? I think he tested positive. Okay. I don't remember. There was a shitload of Titans players that tested positive. Oh, okay. I think he was one of them. Ah. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he's he on the COVID. He texted me, maybe. So, he's, yeah. he te- I, uh, I think he's on the COVID list. Dexter okay. Lawrence there at number two on defense, and Brian Burns ranks third among second-year defensive players in PFF grade. Burns right. is interesting because Burns is like – what's like a comp for – he feasts. Has been Anytime he goes up against a shitty – right tackle like unathletic guy this past week against arizona who was the right tackle he was facing i can't remember but just went to town mm-hmm. but his splits against right and left tackles are enormous over the course of his career it's something like a 60 pass rushing grade against left tackles and like a 80.82 grade oh, against wow. right tackles like he does not beat athletic tackles when you go up against good tackles like like i've said guys who don't have that power strength the threat of the bull rush if a guy can match your athleticism they're going to shut him down and they have but when he goes up against you know lesser tackles on the right side guys who are usually and nfl still putting their you know more on athletic tackles on that side uh pretty much across the board in the nfl he's been able to beat them so i do think that if i'm the panthers i have to recognize that and, and they still switch them sides to some degree i just keep him over right tackle all day yeah, long and let him go to work let him play him where he's at his best. Yeah. All right, let's jump to the blackout segment here. We're going to highlight a, some bad rookie and prospect performances, starting with Buddy. 
Joshua Kelly did not look good. Everyone's rushing to the waiver wire this week, too, because Austin Eckler has yeah. a hamstring injury that could cost him, honestly, the season. Some people think this could be a four- to six-month recovery. Our injury analyst, Mario Pilato, is not super high on him coming back anytime soon. But Joshua Kelly, nine carries for seven yards and a fumble. This did not look good in this game. Yeah, and that's the second straight week now with a fumble, which not a lot of things you can do at running back to get in the doghouse fumbling will get you off the field. You will not play if you're fumbling in the NFL for most offense coordinators. So that's uh, that's like a welcome to the NFL. Here, here's all your snaps behind this terrible charged offensive line, but also like makes you appreciate how actually good Austin Eckler is. Yes. The fact that he can produce behind whatever they're throwing out there and not have it as an excuse. I do think Austin Eckler, probably one of the most underrated running backs in the NFL, they will miss him dearly if he's out for some time and, and right now Josh Kelly due to the injury to Austin Eckler actually leads this team in carries with 52 but he's only averaging 3.3 yards per carry and only has seven forced missed tackles which dude is- I didn't see the okay I didn't see the Kelly hype at all coming I don't know why he was fourth rounder I he was he was kind of fast it was kind of big and fast but he was not dynamic you know who they need to get carries if joshua kelly's not the answer joe reed my guy out of virginia the guy who's like that scat uh wide receiver type i think that would be fun coming out of the back he was more dynamic than kelly like by far yeah all right the other rookie that we want to highlight an honorable mention here not a full blackout but i honestly say this has been this has been tough for lloyd he's been on a bender (laughs) center for the denver broncos the former lsu center lloyd cushenberry not only did he give up four pressures in this game, but I thought in the run game, whether it was Quinn Williams, Henry Anderson, or any Jets defensive tackle going against him, just manhandled him. Like, he looked, here's my notes here, a step slow and weak. Every single time. Like, if you're slow and you're not, like, you're getting bullied, it, it, it was kind of rough to see. And he just, like, he hasn't. He doesn't recognize stunts at all. He's missed so many of that whole interior off the The game is mess, like lightning speed to him right yeah, now. Yeah, 7.4 pass blocking grade in this one. Over the last three games, he's allowed 14 pressures. And that's not uh, Vita common Vea, for a center. <laughs> Vita Vea, I, I'll give you, you know, Pittsburgh and uh, Tyson Alualu is playing like an all-pro. I'll give you. But the Jets weren't throw, aren't throwing out elite talent at the mm-hmm. defense tackle position. I guess Quinn Williams could be this year. We, we'll see. But you shouldn't be losing. You shouldn't be having a 7.4 pass blocking grade against what he was going up against. All right, we're actually getting a blackout segment for Trey Lance as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was eh. not – it's not – it wasn't a blackout. It wasn't like Cushionberry but... levels. But – it's his only game this year, say, yeah. and what completed what less than fifty percent of his passes are right on the yeah. nose there for one hundred and forty nine yards, something along those lines. It's not not what you wanted to see against Central Arkansas in this game. Yes, and through through a pick, so now you can't say never oh. thrown a pick in his entire college career. I was so excited for that. Though. That would have been, I mean, every we would have heard it. Again and it wasn't again a great. It was not like a batted ball or anything. It was not. It was not a great throw. Yeah, it just wasn't a great throw. Fifty seven point seven passing grade. Obviously, the running was there. He's a man amongst boys at the SCS level as a runner and. I think will even look the part in the NFL. Like that will be a legitimate threat that he brings to the table. But man, miss some easy throws was not a clean performance by any means. And it's a talented quarterback class. There's a lot of there's a lot of guys, and I don't see how you can draft him above someone like Justin Fields. I don't see if Zach Wilson and Kyle Trask, if they light up college football the way they have early on this season and continue that and don't really have any blips on their radar, I don't see how you can take Lance above either of those guys. Even if he maybe he has better tools, those guys have will have played elite football in the FBS. Obviously, Wilson's competition not great for BYU this year, but Trask will be in the SEC. So that one uh, going to hurt for Trey Lance. It's fortunate. The other other blackout segment or blackout segment member here is TJ Carter, the oh. Memphis cornerback who went up against a freight train Reggie. in Reggie Robertson, who currently leads all of college football in yards per hour run. 
But he did go down with an injury in the end of this game. Did you yeah, see that non-contact went, knee injury? He got yeah, cut off. I wonder bad. what happened to him because that looked bad when the way he went. He was down. dominating in this game, though. He had he could do whatever he wanted against T.J. Carter and company. Like he was really looking good in this game. But then T.J. Carter gives up three receptions for 131 yards, uh, including a touchdown. Just was outmatched by Reggie Robertson in this game. Yeah, and he looked slow. Uh, maybe still hampering. I don't know. What do you have? An ankle injury at the end of last year, the end of the season. Mm-hmm. T.J. Carter. Uh, he, he got beat off the line by Robertson and was losing ground as he spoke, or as he ran down the football field, gave up well over 100 yards. That's not going to be good for your draft stock, especially you know at Memphis. You're not going to face a ton of quality wide receivers, and the one you do face goes for over two bills is concerning. That is not good, my friends. That's not good. All right, let's jump to our raise a glass segment here where we look at some top prospect performances from the weekend. You're going to start with Khalil Herbert, the running back for Virginia Tech. He's kind of a interesting build for him he had a, he broke up a couple big runs in this one he's got like he's really top heavy i thought it was start, it was definitely difficult for uh guys to bring him down on first contact looked good in this game i thought he had that 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 really good that breakaway speed on some of the runs but he was getting hocked a handful of times as well he looked good in this one though yeah he reminded me of like zach moss where he's okay. short stout as can be and then like really good balance he's built in like this, a cinder block in this game and i don't know how so he just transferred from kansas grad transfer from kansas i don't know how he couldn't see the field at kansas like he only had like 100 puka yeah i guess puka is pretty dope so i can't hate on that but transferred from kansas and he looked he looked pretty legit in this game like he was very difficult to bring down now it's duke's defense not world beaters by any means but elusiveness is elusiveness and uh he looked pretty darn good so Maybe one of those guys, like, he's not going to be an early rounder, but I think one of those guys that I would love to have on day three. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've seen what the Bills have done with guys that just force missed tackles at yeah. a high rate, you know, with Devin Singletary and Zach Moss uh, there for Buffalo. The other guy, we just mentioned him, but Reggie Roberson, we're going to raise the glass to him, maybe Man. to his season. It did not look good. That knee injury looked pretty tough. I tried to look before we jumped on the podcast to see if there was any news. I think they're expecting him to miss significant time. But before he went down with the injury, I thought he looked good after the catch, separating on a vertical route tree, good in contested catch situations. Is he the better SMU receiver that's come out there over James Prochet and even others uh, uh, over recent years? Yeah, uh, I think he's much better athlete than Prochet mm-hmm. and bigger, like better size. Prochet was... Sutton's probably Sutton the best way. of the group over the past three or but four yeah, years. I think Sutton's I mean, quite easily in the NFL, obviously, has been very good uh, and was just the prototypical size speed athlete, sort of like had a ridiculous three cone also. Like he had those tools. I don't think Robertson's quite there, but I think he's a 4-4 guy and, and solidly built. Um, there was kind of a static-ish route tree that he was winning on. He just go balls in this one, like five catches, but almost 50 yards a catch. Uh was pretty nasty but the injury is the thing there i think he's probably could have played his way into a day two guy but if the injury is serious i'm not sure he goes off the board till day three then yeah gonna be tough for him all right the other guy is honestly i think college football's every everybody's favorite player right now Kadarius tony the wide receiver from yeah. florida who is just breaking tackles at a rate that's similar to antonio gibson and he's not touching the football a ton but when he does it's a highlight reel every single time he reminds me of just like watching dante, dante, hall. Percy. Oh, dante okay. hall back in the day where it's just it got the whichever way direction he moves in, it just is is, is quick as shit. Like it just yeah. looks different. Uh, the speed he's playing at, and in that nasty play, the that you know everyone probably saw already, where he broke four tackles, all they're all conversion yeah. on him at once. He just runs through all of them. But the route he ran on that, yes, he crazy. Like it was a one on one, and he just, I mean, gave him a little head fake outside, and the guy was gone. So. 
I'm more excited to see more of that. Like, we know he's nasty after the catch. He has 30 broken tackles on 61 career catches. <laughs> we know he can That's do that. Just, That's going to be insane. like – I'll, I'm willing to take him highly based off of that alone because that sort of dynamism is rare, but more routes like that, and we can start to talk about you know creeping up into the first round. All right, let's jump to the defense side of the ball here and look at Richie Grant, the safety for UCF. You liked him going into this year too. You're, yeah. you're a big fan of Richie Grant. He's one of my favorite deep safeties. Made a great play from middle of field safety in this one where – he just saw where the routes were developing and where the ball was going to go. And he made a pick, came over the top on a, kind of a sl- uh, slot fade go ball uh, all the way to the sideline, made a pick, had four stops in this game. I, I, I'm i a fan of his game. Now he's a senior. Um, he had a big year back in 2018 when he had six picks, already has two picks now this season. Like I said, I picked UCF to go to the playoff. Uh, Texas made me look dumb with my pick for them to go to the playoff. I think uh, Richie Grant's starting to make me look could make me look smart here. Uh, 91.7 PFF grade against Tulsa. He had 10 combined tackles and zero missed tackles along with those four stops you spoke to. That That's an impressive line for safety. Yeah. When you're getting, that, you're getting that much play from a tackle perspective and not missing tackles, that is huge to see. All right, uh, Kevon Bennett, the edge defender for Tennessee, number 95. I thought he showed some explosiveness in this yeah. game. He was jumping off the edge. He had that really nice win against the guard and then even had another win mm-hmm. on the edge as well in this one. I thought Bennett... I like to see juice along the edge. I think this edge class has been tough, man. You haven't you, right. you know, the best guys aren't playing. Yeah, we haven't seen the best guys. Um, They're all the big Penn time. State, Jason Owe, yeah. Gregor Rousseau. But this guy, you like to see the juice off the edge. Yes, and so he was a part-time rusher last year. Twenty-five pressures on 160 pass rushes, and through two weeks now, eight pressures already as in a starting role. Uh, a tad undersized, six-two, two-forty-five, uh, but that's. That's not bad. Like I, I, he, he can get up to a good way. He's a redshirt junior. I, I liked what I saw. And there's if you're pass rushing against guys in the SEC, most times like the tackles you're facing are usually you're not facing just awful mm-hmm. slap tackles that can't um, you know block a. Uh, anyone. So I do think that his performance is pretty impressive here against Missouri. All right, last guy here, Tyson Campbell, who I think is a former five-star and has a very big pedigree playing for Georgia right now. And the first thing I look at when you're scouting Georgia corners, how much are they bullying kids down the field? Because that's what DeAndre Baker did. That's what Eric Stokes Jr. does. Tyson Campbell, though, I think has the tools to not have to lean on that. You know, DeAndre Baker didn't have speed. Tyson Campbell has length and speed, and he went up against Seth Williams, the big boy out of Auburn this past week, only held him to three receptions for 34 yards. Got I think a couple of those receptions. He got beat at the catch point, but still, yeah. the, the, the best play is late in that game. Go ball to Seth Williams, and he's sticking with him stride for stride and gets a hand on that ball. And you don't see corners make those plays all the time, mm-hmm. especially against a guy like Seth Williams, who's just a big monster uh, at the wide receiver position. That's the thing. He was just in Williams' hip pocket the whole game. Like, yes, he gave up a few catches, missed a tackle, but the fact DPI that DPI too, I think he had a DPI. Yeah, and the fact that he just was not was always there though at the catch point pretty much universally in this game is what is what's more predictive going forward and i think this is the type of like 6'2 185 he's a long corner and going up against bigger wide receivers shutting him down at the college level and it wasn't it wasn't getting super physical with him he would just it didn't you know he wasn't taking super advantage of the lack of legal contact penalty and seth williams is a physical wide receiver in his own right and he plays you know a physical game with his routes so for Campbell to like I said be with him uh, pretty much from start to finish in that game this dude's playing his way up 
draft boards this season just need to stay healthy. What's your What's your opinion of Seth Williams? I think some people really like his game. Some people, I think me, don't love that he's not like an, a separator, but you can get on board with him being this like big contested catch guy. What's your opinion of <sighs> Seth Williams? I still am not a huge fan. Yeah. I still don't see. Those aren't your types, though. Your type, your type is not the big guy that I, comes down with these highlight reel catches every once in a while, like Braylon Edwards or not Braylon Edwards, Brian Edwards, the Raiders yeah. receiver. I would just rather lean away from guys like that mm-hmm. and miss on the ones, uh, the Mike Williamses of the world, who do turn out good in that yeah. mold, just because I think on the whole, you're better off hit finding rates. guys that can separate. Yeah, exactly, yeah, you can beat Tyson Campbell and yep. you know, like what Kadarius Tony did to that corner in the slot. Um, all right, we got one to before we jump to the fake ID segment. I kind of wanted to throw this out there. I looked at the some notable names that are currently ranked top twenty on either the offensive side of the ball or the defensive side of the ball in PFF grade. Just throw some names out there. No surprises for Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, Liam, Liam Eikenberg, the offensive tackle from Notre Dame, grading well so far this year. We already mentioned Zach Wilson, the two Kyles in Florida, Kyle Pitts and Trask on the defensive side of the ball. Two guys that we like taking into this year, Ali McNeil, yep. the NC State uh, defensive tackle, and then Asante Samuel Jr., who was playing, I think, cover three and saw passed his man off on a crosser and then saw the route developing over the top and made a really nice interception uh, this past week. I don't know who Florida State played. I don't remember who it was, but it was a really nice pick. I'm off Asante. Florida State, so I don't know either. You're off Florida State. Oh, man. <laughs> two two appearances on old takes or cold takes. What the hell is that fucking thing? Old takes exposed. Old takes exposed. Um that is funny. All right, let's finish with the fake ID segment. The Florida offense, though, man. Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony. Dude, Kyle Pitts. Incredible. And then they have awesome. that running back who looks exactly like Le'Veon Bell, the way he runs. I haven't, you know? I haven't watched the running back okay. at all. I've been well, watching there, the throws. There's, that's a sweet. That's going to be a fun offense to watch this year. That's going to be like LSU. Maybe not. I mean, they're not going to be like LSU, but they're, mm-hmm. that's the type of talent we're working with here. You think they go to the playoffs? <sighs> I don't know. Come man. on, Mike. Stick your neck no, out I there. No, I think Texas and UCF do. That's <laughs> out of here. All right, fake ID segment to finish the podcast here. It's a name you know and love. Yes. Frank Gore Jr., Southern Miss. 10 missed tackles on 24 carries. Actually looked kind of good Dude, in this game. How the Okay, how did this guy not go to the U? What's, what are they doing? I know he was only a three-star recruit, and I know he's tiny. Yeah. He lives at 5'8", 165. I've never seen a guy 165 pounds run harder than he does, though. He was running over guys. It's surprising no one, by the way. Yeah, Frank Gore, right? If Frank Gore's son ran like a soft, you yeah. know, bad It was thing, a finesse back. It, it would have been not okay. Yeah, but no, 165 pounds and is just chugging through linebackers in this game. Um, but he looked awesome. Like, yeah. And he's got he's faster than his dad already also. I mean, it's I mean, hard easily, to be slower. So. <laughs> I mean, come on. Frank Gore Jr., 10, yeah, like I said, 10 force tackles Miss on 24 carry, uh, carries. If you're not watching Southern Miss football. What are you doing? I know. What are you doing? You watch that game start to finish, I'm sure. But uh, definitely uh, Frank Gore Jr., the fake ID for this week. That's going to do it for the Two Foreign Drafts podcast. Remember, rate, review, and subscribe the podcast. And on the Thursday edition or the Wednesday edition of the podcast, if you rate and review the podcast, leave a five-star review with the name of a rookie, draft prospect, fake ID, potential uh, member there. If you leave his name in the comments, we'll bring him up on the Thursday pod. We can't get to every name on the Monday podcast. We try and touch on as many rookies and prospects as possible, but we can't get to everyone. If you mention it in a five-star review, we'll get to them on Wednesday. Outside of that, that's going to do it. Austin Gale, Mike Renner, 2-4 Drafts.